All right, Acts chapter 20 tonight. Acts chapter 20. What I plan on doing in this chapter is we're going to go through we're going to go through the whole thing. Uh, but then uh, really this chapter it's kind of just it gives just a lot of facts of what Paul did, but then we're going to see at the end of the chapter he's kind of giving some parting words to the church at Ephesus that I think uh, helps us understand a lot of what Paul's mission was, what he was trying to accomplish in churches. And so we're going to kind of go through these things, and I'm just going to kind of preach a little bit. And uh, the title of the sermon tonight is, you know, why the hashtag old paths are disappearing. And uh, when you hear me talk about like the hashtag old paths, now what do you mean by hashtag old paths? Well, these are things that are basically just that are associated with old paths or old time religion it's uh and it, while people try to act like some of this came straight out of the king james bible well it didn't so for example you know bus routes okay bus routes aren't in the king james bible but bus routes are hashtag old paths and i'm all for that you know so i'm for that kind of thing i'm for um a lot of how we you know the old paths operate how we do church how i am dressed tonight is hashtag old paths for the most part uh slight there's a little bit of a, a compromise in there anybody could tell me what i'm doing that's not fully old paths yeah i'm not wearing a white shirt so uh you know I'm, I'm a little bit of, i'm a little liberal on the hashtag old paths but at the same time i'm for the spirit of it okay i'm for the spirit of it i believe in doing things that are tried and tested and that you can trace back to the word of God. But, you know, at the, at the end of the day, too, I, I, I can't find ties in the Bible. But it is, it is kind of a principle thing. And I don't want to get into all that. But let's, let's go through this chapter. And as we go through this chapter, I'm just going to uh, kind of lay out some of the facts of it. And then we're just going to, uh, we're go we're going to preach a little bit. And that, let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, that's old paths right there. That's hashtag old paths. To just find a verse and use it as a springboard to just pin your ears back and preach, amen. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Anyway, we're going to try, see what happens. But just a little bit of background, though. Cause, uh, you know, When the book of Acts, just a, a reminder of a few things. When the book of Acts began covering the ministry of Paul, one thing we see throughout what we've seen so far is this combination of great success and great tribulation. Every place Paul went, there would be, you know, a revival and then a riot, pretty much, is what would happen. And he was constantly getting ran out of places. He was constantly getting beaten, thrown in prison, just one thing after another. And so Paul now, if you remember the last chapter, the last chapter, it, it highlights a few big events. You have that, you know, riot that takes place in Ephesus. But there was actually a long period of time in there where things are going very good, where a lot of people are getting saved Paul's doing great miracles. I mean, chapter 19, in a lot of ways, you could probably say was one of Paul's most successful periods of time. We just don't get a lot of details. But the fact that there was, it's mentioning years passing with no big extreme events happening, it was actually a good thing. And so the book of Acts, what it's kind of doing, it is, it is just kind of a historical outline of events that took place. And... Um, that's what we're going to see in chapter 20. It's just kind of giving us an overview of what Paul did. And while we can definitely learn a lot of doctrine from the book of Acts, 
it's mostly just telling us what happened. And so Paul, he's had a great deal of success in Ephesus, you know, but then things kind of turned out the way they do in other cities. You have the riot, you have just people going crazy. And so what we're about to see in this chapter is Paul basically goes on a mission and it just mentions a whole bunch of places that he goes to. And he's pretty much going to check up on all the churches that he has worked with over the years. And I believe it's, it's very clear because Paul has a mission in mind where he wants to go back to Jerusalem. Paul is wanting to go back and do something big with the Jews because he still loves his people. He still cares about his people. But this course of events, what he's about to do is going to set a course of events that are going to lead to some of the biggest challenges and some of the biggest battles that Paul is going to face in his life. And so while he's kind of been in control, been able to travel from one place to another, go where he wants, he's pretty much going to go into captivity and he's going to be getting shipped all over the place to go stand before on trial and things like that. And so we're just kind of looking at an overview of all the places that he goes to while preparing for this trip to Jerusalem. And so as we go through this chapter, I want us at the end to kind of focus on what he said to the elders in Ephesus, because this will help us put a lot of things in perspective that we have got to remember as a church. If we forget these things, what we're going to be doing, I'm going to be one of these hashtag old past preachers talking about why everybody's dropping old time religion. Where are they all going? Everybody's going liberal. Everybody's going contemporary. What's happening? We can't figure out what's going on. This, you know, I might start preaching the age of apostasy and you know, Laodicea and church age and things like that and uh, having a defeatist attitude. I don't want it to be that way. I think there's a real reason that we're seeing the good things about the old paths and the old time religion vanishing. I believe that when it comes to the things that you know, are supposed to preserve good doctrine. Churches have forgotten these things. They dropped the ball somewhere a long time ago. And the, some of the biggest mouthpieces for old-time religion, I think, are some of the greatest examples of where the failure is at. And I don't want that to be the case. So uh, when it comes to the fight between old-time religion and modernism, I'm on the old-time religion side. I want to see them succeed. But when I see them losing, I want to know why. And I believe, and thankfully, we're an independent Baptist church, and most Baptists don't like us anyway. So you know what? I can go ahead and preach what's wrong, and I don't need to worry about offending anybody or uh, not getting invited back to preach any of the big conferences. They never invited me in the first place. So I have, I've got nothing to lose by preaching the truth. So uh, let's go ahead and start going through this chapter. So verse 1 says, And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto his disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece. And so what was this exhortation that he gave them? He doesn't tell us exactly what he's saying when he's going to all this place, all these places. But I'm, I'm pretty sure it was probably the same thing we're going to see at the end of the chapter when he's talking to the elders at Ephesus. So he starts out here leaving Ephesus. He's going to go to a bunch of places and then he's going to end up right back here in Ephesus at the end of the chapter. So in verse 3... It says, and there abode three months, and when the Jews laid wait for him, as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, um, Aristarchus, and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychicus, and Trophimus. These going before tarried for us at Troas, and we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, 
and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And this passage right here is one that somebody could use to teach that we should still keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But, you know, we're not going to take time to go and read about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But understand, 100% of people today who are trying to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Passover, 100% of the people who are trying to do it today and will even use the book of Acts to justify keeping these Jewish feasts are not doing it properly. 100%. You know why? Because they're not doing sacrifices. And you know what? They shouldn't be doing sacrifices. You say, well, why was Paul trying to keep these feasts? Well, is Paul keeping the uh, traditions of these feasts and the rituals of these feasts? Or is he just going at, you know, to observances of these things so he can preach to people, which is what he often does? We're going to see here he wants to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost. Why would he want to go to Jerusalem for Pentecost? Maybe because at Pentecost you have Jews from all over the world that come to that feast. And so if he's wanting to reach Jews in all these cities, it's really hard for him to just travel from city to city to city. How about he go to Jerusalem when everybody's there? Because isn't that how it was in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2? So I think that's the real reason he's wanting to do it. But at the end of the day, too, the temple still hasn't been destroyed yet. A lot of those things were still around. And Paul hasn't even written Colossians 2 yet. In verse 16, where he says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of any holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So understand, we couldn't keep these things if we tried today because of the fact there is no temple. So again, anybody, if if they want to try to make weird arguments for why Paul was doing it, they can. There's no argument for why we should be doing it today. You can't do these things without a temple. And that temple has been gone for a very long time, and I believe for a very good reason. I believe God got rid of it so they would stop doing these things. So people would stop going back to those old ways that God was finished with. So in verse 7, it says, so, but notice, all this is going on after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it says, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. So you know, here we have them observing the Lord's Supper on a Sunday, too. And you know, I don't think it's a coincidence they did it around the time of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And isn't that when we typically do the Lord's Supper? Around the time of Passover? Around the time, you know, we usually do it the Wednesday before the crucifixion. Uh, and obviously, we do not pretend we're keeping the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We do not pretend we're keeping the Passover. You know what we're doing? We're observing the Lord's Supper. And that's what we see the disciples doing here. They are uh, they're meeting together and they're breaking bread, I believe, observing the Lord's Supper. So verse 8 says, And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till a break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. So here we have Paul raising a man from the dead, which is a huge deal, which is a huge miracle. Paul 
is still doing great miracles, just like we saw in the previous chapter. And so notice that, too, in case you all think I preach long sometimes, Paul went up past midnight. So just keep that in mind. So if I preach till midnight tonight, uh, it's, it's just biblical, right? No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. I was in a service one time, and a preacher was up there preaching. He's like, he's like, remember that story in the Bible where Paul, he preached so long that the guy fell out of the window? He's like, well, what was that guy's name? This is how I remember the guy's name, too. It always helps me remember. And I remember I was sitting in the audience, and I'm the Bible trivia guy, and I, was, I said, Eutychus. And he just looked at me and he said, Eutychus, too, if I preach that long. So good way to help you, a good way to help you remember the name of the guy. And some of you probably would cuss, too, if I preach that long, or probably walk out or fall asleep. Some of you fall asleep, and I don't even preach till it's 8. So just, you know, so watch out. But uh, anyway, so verse 13 and we went before to ship and sailed unto Assos, there intending to take in Paul, for so had he appointed, minding himself to go afoot. And when he had met with us at Assos, we took him in and came to um, Mytilene. A lot of weird names in here. And we sailed thence and came the next day over against Chios. And the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried at Trogilium. And the next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had determined to, set, to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend his time in Asia, for he hasted, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. So notice how, you know, in these 16 verses, you know, this is, this is just literally the Bible just giving an overview of what Paul did and just hitting a few highlights. It tells a story real quick about him raising somebody from the dead. That's a pretty big deal, okay? It's one thing, too, Jesus raising people from the dead. None of us should be surprised Jesus raising people from the dead, but even his disciples, we see, saw Peter in the book of Acts, just showing these guys had the power of God. These guys had the Holy Spirit, which is just as much God as Jesus Christ is God. And so, you know, we should be, really shouldn't be surprised they're doing these miracles, but these miracles they did, these are just proof beyond any shadow of a doubt that these guys are of God, that they're messages of God. And while this would have been a difficult time, they don't have Bibles. The churches are just getting started. You know, God did these great works. There was no reason for people to doubt. And, and so Paul, though he's just kind of rushing through these places, he doesn't spend any time in Asia because he wants to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And I'm telling you, I, I think it was a mistake, Paul, going to Jerusalem. You know, and the Bible does not explicitly tell us, uh, you, know, you know, what made Paul do this. But I kind of think it was just his own thing. I think it was something he decided that he wanted to do. And, you know, sometimes it's okay for us to, God will allow us to do things that we just want to do. You know, they're not necessarily, sin, I mean, was it sinful for him to want to go preach to the people in Jerusalem? No, it wasn't sinful, but it was kind of a dangerous thing to do. You know, would it be sinful for me if I just decided, you know what, I want to go, I want to go reach people in Afghanistan. I'm just going to go over there and preach, you know. I mean, that's not, it's not sinful to want to preach to those people, but is it probably going to get me killed? Probably a pretty good chance. So, uh, you know, it's, you know, so kind of keep those things in mind that a lot of that's going to come into play more next week. Cause I do, I think the church in Jerusalem was a mess. I think it's clear from what we're going to see. Well, uh, I won't be here next week, but the, in, in two weeks we'll be talking about that. I've been real anxious to get to Acts chapter 21, but anyway, verse 17 says, and from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. So 
it's very clear, clear what we're going to see here. Paul, he knows when he's going to these places that this is probably the last time he's going to see these people. And one thing, too, that, we're, that we see throughout Paul's epistles and his writing is we see him constantly emphasizing the importance of preserving good doctrine. That's what 2 Timothy chapter 2 is all about. And just passage after passage, Paul emphasizing good doctrine. We see in Galatians where he is getting all over the people of Galatia for allowing people to come in and preach another gospel. And he's telling them, let them be accursed. He's constantly warning them about wolves and sheep's clothing constantly. And he's about to do that thing here because the apostle Paul, when it came to his ministry, Paul was not like your average Christian of today whose mind has been infected with the fatalist dispensational theology that, you know what, a falling away is going to come. It's all going to the devil anyway. We're in a Laodicean church age. Oh, well. no, the apostle Paul was always thinking way ahead. He was always thinking about the future. Paul, when he would get these ministries started, these churches started, he wanted them doing work for God when Jesus Christ returned. So there was a great focus on making sure people were established in the faith. He was not just going to get people saved. And that, listen, soul winning is a wonderful thing. It is an admirable thing. It is the first thing you're going to do. You, you can't build a church. You can't make disciples without getting people saved. You can't do it. But Paul wasn't just going to get them saved. Paul wanted to make sure these people got trained. Paul wanted to make sure these people got rooted and built it up and established in the faith because Paul wanted them to be able to teach other people so they could teach other people. Because I'm telling you, if we just get people saved and we don't get them straightened out doctrinally, if we don't, if we don't prepare the next generation doctrinally, they're going to forget everything. They're going to lose these things and they're not going to be effective and the message is going to get so corrupted, you're not going to be able to get anybody saved. And unfortunately, we've got churches all over today that aren't getting anyone saved. They're not getting anybody saved. You know why? They're, they're preaching false gospels. Their message has been so corrupted that no one is getting saved. And we are seeing places today that call themselves churches and nothing more than fun centers. I saw a, a video this week in a Methodist church where they had a a drag queen up there with the pastor and her name was Pentecost or his name was Penny Pentecost. I mean, and then the pastor gets up there and uses to justify being a tranny. You know what verse he used and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. And you know, the Bible talks about us being transformed. And apparently that means being transformed from a guy into a girl. Now, folks, the fact that a guy can get up and do that kind of thing in church and not die at the hands of an angry mob shows that we are in a bad place in this country. I mean, what a shame. What a joke. But that is the, that is the world that we're living in today. The Apostle Paul, he thought ahead. He'd seen some things. We don't think, I'm telling you, Baptists, they're, they're not thinking ahead. There really aren't. It is this Laodicean church age. The Haman, what comes after Laodicea, folks? Chapter 4, Revelation, and we're out of here, amen? And a Hezekiah attitude. Hey, there's peace and safety in our day. 
hey, at least we're, we're going to be lukewarm. We're going to be comfortable. They, now, they're not going to say this, but that's the thing in their mind. Hey, at least we're, we're going to be comfortable when the trumpet sounds. And, you know, it's the, next, it's the people after us that are going to have to suffer. That is a horrible attitude. And that, first, and that is just so unbiblical, it's not even funny. But, you know, people wonder how we got to this place. I'm telling you, it's bad theology like that. And so, let's go ahead and start in verse 18. Go to verse 18. It says, because I, I believe it is our job as a church to continue doing all the things that Paul is going to mention here. All these things that Paul, I mean, he makes a special trip just to give this message to this church because you've got to keep doing this. And folks, we have the book of Ephesians in our Bible for a reason. We have the epistles of Paul in our Bible for a reason. We need to be continuing the things that Paul said. We are not the church at Ephesus. But what we see Paul telling this church right here, the elders of this church, all of us as members of a church, we ought to be eating up every word that he says here and, and asking ourselves, are we doing that here? Are we doing this? We've got to be doing this. And we've got to make sure we prepare another generation to do all these things. And I'm telling you, it's not getting done. It is not getting done in the majority of independent fundamental Baptist churches today. And we are seeing apostasy for a reason. So verse 18, it says, And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by lying in way of the Jews. And so notice what the Apostle Paul did, and it's something that we need to do, is we need to humbly serve the Lord, and we've got to stay faithful through opposition. And let me tell you something. The Apostle Paul, he never, ever, ever, ever ran away from opposition. He just stayed faithful through opposition. He constantly had opposition. He constantly had opponents. The Apostle Paul wasn't having, you know, he wasn't having the police come into his services so he could honor them. Police came into his services to lock him up. You know, Paul wasn't doing these things to just go and just, you know, kiss the big toe of the community leaders. No, he usually when he stood before community leaders, it's because he was on trial. And he and the apostle Paul, he did. He had oppositions, he had temptations, he had people lying in wait for him, but you know what? It never stopped him from doing anything. He stayed faithful through all, all the opposition. Look at verse twenty. And he said, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul too, he taught them the, entire, the whole counsel of God. Every word of God is important. Paul taught all of it to him. All of it. And you know what? He didn't do it. He did it publicly and from house to house. Now, this is where I want to talk about the hashtag old pass for a little bit. Because let me tell you something. One of the reasons that the, the greats of yesteryear were as great as they were is they were very public with their ministries. They did whatever they had to do to get the message out. They used whatever means were available to get the message out. They used radio back then. They used those things. They used newspapers back in the day. You know, John R. Rice, he used the sword of the Lord. Curtis Hudson used the sword of the Lord. You know why they used those things? Because that was the method of communication back in that day. That was the media of that day. 
The Jews have always kind of had control of the television, and bats have just never really been able to afford TV very well. So they've never really been great on television, and that's by design. But at the same time, if they could have, they would have. But now what we have today is we've got, we've got independent fundamental Baptists. I don't know what's going on with old-time religion. Why is everybody dropping old-time religion? Well, you know what? Let me ask most of these people lamenting that fact. My question is, where are you online? More and more places are going, and they're not putting their stuff online. I listened to one large ministry just recently talking about why they're not putting their stuff online because of what people can do with it. Because people can take it and they can edit it and manipulate it and make you say things that you aren't really saying. It's like, uh, you know what? They can do that. They've always been doing that with anyone who's public. They did that with Jesus. Didn't when Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again. And the Bible says he spoke of the temple of his body. But what did they do? They made it like he was going to destroy their physical temple. Which kind of was true too. But again, they would take something he said and they would misapply it. They would rile up the mob. And folks, we're seeing that that's that's why a lot of these guys don't want to go online. But folks, that's how people communicate today. That's how we reach the next generation. The next generation is on social media. But what do these guys do? They get up and they holler about the old paths. You know, we need more men to start radio ministries. Why? Nobody's listening to the radio. Listen, we did radio for a couple of years out here. We got like two visitors out of it. We've gotten way more visitors from online stuff. We've gotten way more visitors. We were spending like $400 a month doing the, doing the radio program. We only got a couple visitors out of that where I can go spend 50 bucks on a Facebook ad, you know, promoting some kind of event. And we've had several visitors from those things. So it's like, you know, uh, that's not old pass. Yes, it is old pass. You know what it's called? Uh, Facebook's not in the Bible. No, but speaking publicly is in the Bible. And the Apostle Paul, what we always see him doing is finding out how he could do things in the most public way possible. That's why he wanted to go into that stadium full of an angry mob because that's where everybody was congregated. So he wanted to go in there and go preach to them, but his companions wouldn't let him go in there. He was always trying to do things in the most public way he could because he wanted to get the message to everybody. The most public way we can do things today is online, but you've got a lot of guys in the name of old paths not doing things online. You're, listen, you're not really old paths. Okay? You're hashtag old paths, okay? which is, it's in hashtag old paths too, it, they, what they've done, they've turned the old paths into more of a ritual instead of a response to the Holy Spirit. Another thing that you see IFB guys talking against a lot of times, and a lot of what they're saying is right when they get on this, but a lot of what they're saying is also stupid. But they'll talk, talk about pragmatism. You know, and obviously, you know, because what in pragmatism, basically, you know, just we're going to try some kind of method. And as long as it works and produce results, it's got to be OK. But and, and, and again, yeah, if we're doing dumb stuff, you know, if we are going to have evil can evil come here and, you know, you know, jump the church with his motorcycle or something, you know, that's kind of weird, uh, you know. But again, that I would probably help us reach a lot of people uh, or get, you know, get a message to them. I, I don't know. But, you know, but either way. You know, we can all laugh at that stuff, but at the same time, 
while we don't see them doing like really weird stuff like that in the Bible, like magic shows, and they would do things in a very public way. They were always trying to find a way to get a crowd. They were always trying to find a way to get the attention of as many people as possible. And you know what? We need to do the same thing. We need to look at where people are at today. We need to figure out what's effective and say, what will help us reach as many people as possible? Why? Because we, if our, what we are going to do is going to continue, we can't hide, hide our message. We cannot contain our message to just these four walls. And Paul said, these things that I taught you, I taught them to you publicly. And folks, we're not some cult, okay? There's a lot of Baptists that want to act like we're a cult. But we're the ones that will get up here and right here online, live stream to the whole world. I'll get up here and I'll tell everybody what we think, what we believe. In the meantime, they don't want their stuff getting out of the four walls of that church. Why is that? You know why? Because of the lying in wait of the Jews and people like them. And there are people lying in wait. Okay, we have them always lying in wait for us here too. What bothers them about us is we don't care. You know, we're not scared of them. But let me tell you, a lot of people are. But you know what's old paths? Not being scared of them. Not caring. You know what, you know what old paths is? Like the Apostle Paul said he didn't mind going behind enemy lines because it would get him in front of a big crowd. You know what? I wish some of these people that are looking to expose me I wish these people that are looking to just nail me for what my thought crimes and things, you know what? I wish they'd just have me come on their platform and ask me. I'd tell them, oh, why, why would you do that? You're just going to be getting negative attention. Probably, probably but I'm also going to be reaching a lot of people in a, that I probably normally wouldn't be able to. So, you know, and, and you know what's funny? I've been asked, I get, I've, I get asked pretty regular to go on different podcasts and things by the enemy. And then I always, and I, you know what my answer always is? Just let me know when. And I never hear from them again. I do, I've gotten multi, I think they're all just wanting to say, I tried to get Tommy McMurtry on, but he was too scared to come on. I don't know why these people keep asking me. And I mean, atheists, you know, trendies, they're always asking me, we want to do a podcast with you. We want to interview you about these things. I always just tell them, let me know when. And I never hear from them again. So why are you trying to do that? You know why? Because what I teach, I'm doing it publicly. You know why? Because I'm old past. But like Paul, old past. I'll do things publicly. I'll do it from house to house. When we have visitors that come here, I, I always try to make sure I go you know, visit these people. If they, if you, if they have questions about what we, what we believe, I don't want to put the pressure on them in here or around everybody when we're not on their turf. If they've got anything they want to know, I will go to their house and I let them ask me. And I tell them, and you know what? Sometimes they never come back after I do that. But at the same time, I want to let them know. And I'll give them as much time as they need. Why? Because we're not ashamed of what we believe here. And we're, we're not secretive about it. No, listen, when you ask me what I believe, if, you want, if somebody wants to ask what the position of our church is, if we don't give you an answer, it's just because we don't know. There's just some stuff I don't know. But if we've got in a position, if we have an opinion... We will tell you. We're not ashamed of it. And I believe the reason old-time religion is failing or the hashtag old paths are disappearing is because of the fact that people have turned old-time religion into a ritual instead of a response to the Holy Ghost. There was a time, you know, when one of the best ways you could get a message out in a community to reach as many people as possible with the gospel is put up a big circus tent in the middle of town. 
And people would come from all over to those things. But you know what? It's not really that effective anymore. You know how people fill up tents today? This, any church that succeeds in filling up a tent today, and I've been to a lot of tent meetings, and I'm not against tent meetings. I enjoy them. If I get invited to a tent meeting, I'm probably going to go. I, I enjoy them. But you know how they get filled up? They get filled up by bringing in a big-name preacher and getting people from all the other Baptist churches to come. And so it's just like a you know, conference for, you know, for the group or whatever. But the locals hardly ever do. I mean, all, all the tent revivals I've ever been a part of, I mean, you're lucky to get five or ten people from the community to come. And even if you do get somebody from outside the church to come, it's usually somebody that the people in the church know personally that they talked into coming because there was a contest that whoever gets the most visitors, you know, is getting a Dairy Queen gift card or something like that. Now, there's that pragmatism uh, there. I'm not against that. Okay? I'm not against that. We've had friend, you know, we have friend days here sometimes, and we give out, you know, we'll give out nice Bibles to whoever brings in the most visitors. But, but at the end of the day, there was a time that was very effective, and they would have hundreds and hundreds of people come to these things. A lot of these people weren't saved. They would come to these meetings, and then the preacher would get up there, and he would preach the gospel, and there would be dozens or even hundreds of people that wanted to get saved. How are we going to deal with all these people? How are we going to figure out which ones need saved and which ones don't? You know what they would do? Great way to figure it out. Let's have an altar call. Let's have an opportunity to have people who want to get saved come forward. Let's have some altar workers. Let's do, you know, let's do all these. And, and, it, and it worked. You know, it, it accomplished something for that situation. But now, instead of people just focusing on the, you know, the Holy Spirit that led them to do things a certain way for a certain time that was very effective, people have turned it into a ritual where now they'll go and they'll put up a tent. Nobody cares in most communities. And they'll even go and buy sawdust off eBay that they got from the Burlington Revival as if that's going to help something. And they'll lay out sawdust. They'll sing some old-fashioned hymns. They'll break out the red bat hymn book. They'll get a, you know, and then they'll go and, you know, hype the people up. And, you know, people will run a few glory laps. They get excited. And, but the problem is there's no lost people there. Well, man, we just ain't getting it done like we used to. What are we going to do? So then what do they do? They start telling a whole bunch of stories about, you know, people almost going to hell. You know, scary stories, all these things. And they get all the church members saved again. Folks, listen, something's wrong when that's happening. You know what they need to do? And I don't want to sound like a trendy. Okay? And I'm going to say it one way. I'm going to say it another way to make myself not so bad. But you know what they need? They need to change things up a little bit. Oh, that, that sounds terrible. Folks, listen, people like your kids, they learn how to, you know, we learn to put up defenses. They learn how to respond to some of your methods and things that you use. So sometimes you've got to change things up a little bit to surprise them. That's, that's just kind of part of effective parenting. You can't just do the same thing all the time. And the truth is, it's not that it, could, it was never about the method. The reason they did the things the way they did back then, they were following the leading of the Holy Spirit. They were sensitive to the culture, to the surroundings, to the needs of the people, and they did what was effective at that time, and it worked. But for some reason today, we've got people 
that they have turned that into a ritual that we cannot veer from at all. And we can preach a sermon about Romans 1 to our Wednesday night crowd talking about sodomites and we still have to have an altar call like they did on the sawdust trail 100 years ago. Otherwise, you're not really an IFB church. You're not really old-time religion. You're not really old paths. And I'm tired of listening to these guys. You know, I'm, talk, I'm tired of all these people you know, dropping these things that are ritual, that, that we've literally turned into rituals. They're not bad things. Altar calls are not a sin. Altar calls, uh, they can be very effective in certain situations, in certain settings, but they've turned them into a ritual. They've turned it into a vain repetition, and it's lost its effect. And you know what? I'm not just going to let these people force me into doing a ritual that is not outlined in the Bible. Where do we see them having musicians come and play music, you know, to do their altar call? I don't see anything in the Bible against it, but I don't see anything in the Bible telling us we have to do it that way. You know why I think people did it that way during a certain time? Because it was effective for that situation during that time, to the people they were trying to reach, and I believe they did it following the leading of the Holy Spirit, but Baptists today have turned it into a ritual, and it's not working. And a lot of people look at that and and they're like, you know what, I don't want to do that one thing. And then they get called everything in the world, you're just nothing but a liberal compromising skinny jean wearing all that, and then you know what, you call somebody that enough, they might start doing those things. And I don't, I don't think that's right, and I don't think we ought to treat people that way, but that's what's going on, and I think it's a shame. And so, um, you know, we need to be diligent not to just do the big public things, but also, again, from house to house. You know, we're not, you know, I don't care what we try doing. Listen, our, the people, one of the reasons, too, those tent meetings were effective back in the early 1900s, late 1800s, what else were you going to do when the sun went down back then? Think about it. What else was there to do? When the sun goes down, what was there to do in the 1800s? They couldn't even listen to the radio back then. Now, we're, com- we're competing with all the television and junk. We're, we're competing with all the entertainment and all the video games and things these people have. The lost community is not going to come to a tent meeting that we have, unless there's acrobats. Unless there's acrobats and half-dressed women, they're not going to come. And folks, I'm sorry, we can't do that for a church service. We, we can't do it. And we're, not, and we're not going to. So, you know what we, we're going to have to do even more of today if we're going to actually reach this whole community? We're going to have to go house to house. That's what we're going to have to do. And listen, as soon as somebody figures out a more effective way to get the gospel to every single person in this area, I'll do it. Would you, would you ever quit going house to house? If I ever found a way that was more effective, that would do a better job of getting the gospel to everybody, I would, I would quit doing that. Or I at least wouldn't do it as much. I'm sure there's always going to be times when you need to do it that way. Some people will take Acts 20, 20, those house to house. That's, that's the only way you can do evangelism. That's, no, that's just what he did. You know why? And he did it that way because it was effective. And a lot of people are trying, today are trying to tell us it's not effective. I don't, I'm, it is effective. But at the same time, too, what are they replacing soul winning with? Bounce houses? Clowns? You know, just all these little things, you know, literally clowns, magic shows, all, all these you know, little community things they're doing. It's an absolute joke. 
And, and people are not getting saved from those things. So verse 22. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Now, what's interesting about this, this is about 13 years before the destruction of Jerusalem. And I don't want to add to the Scriptures right here, but, I, but I, as close as Paul was to God and as full of the Holy Ghost as he was, I can't help but think that he knew in his spirit something really bad was coming for Jerusalem. I don't know that Paul knew Jerusalem was going to go down 13 years from then. I think he probably did, but I, I don't know. And you know, some evidence, though, that I, that I think supports that, this, that Paul felt this way and knew something is this time right here in chapter 20 would be around the time that he probably would have wrote the book of Romans. He probably wrote First and Second Corinthians, Romans, and Galatians during this time. And in chapter 9, remember how he talked about my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. But you know what he said in chapter 9? They're the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. Paul knew, Paul, Paul clearly knew bad was coming for Jerusalem. And Paul didn't like it. Paul didn't want it. If Paul would have had his way, he would have been accursed for his people. But you know what? Since God wasn't going to take that deal, God didn't take it with Moses when Moses said, kill me instead. The Apostle Paul, you know what he said? I know they're in trouble. I know it's coming soon. So I'm going to go. I'm going to get as many of them saved as I can. Even if that means I'm going to get killed. And I believe that's why he went. I believe that's what was going on. So verse 23 so save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was aware of the fact that he was considered a troublemaker to the world, but you know what? It didn't bother him because he knew what he was doing was good. He under, he's like, I don't consider my life dear. I just want to do the work of the Lord. And you know what? It was around this time too. He wrote the words of Romans 1. says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why had he been ashamed? Well, because the gospel of Christ was getting people thrown in jail. The gospel of Christ was getting people killed. The, 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 the preaching the gospel of Christ was causing bad things to be said about you. By his brethren. By the Jews. But Paul said, you know what? It's the power of God of salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. So they, I, I'm having a lot of bad things said about me, but Jews and Greeks are getting saved and they're on their way to heaven. So I'm just going to keep preaching it. Who cares what everybody says? So verse 25, and now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God and we ought to be able to say the same thing as a church. We should be able to say this community, we did everything we could to get the truth to you. I mean, we got you mad at us all the time by going and knocking on your doors. We gave you literature. I mean, we boosted Facebook posts. We put stuff online, even though it meant we were going to have people from other communities, from other cities, from other states, taking what we say and using things against us to try to make us look bad. We did it anyway because whatever we had to do to get your attention, we were going to do it because, you know what? We're, if, you, if we don't, your blood is on our hands. But let me tell you, I think we can say, I mean, honestly, I, when, I, I, when I read this passage and I was studying for this, I got to think about it. I mean, really, what more could we do to get everyone in town's attention? 
And if you think of something, let me know. And you know what? We'll do it. What if nobody's ever done that before? That wouldn't be very hashtag old pass. Yeah, actually, it would be old pass. Because that's what they, they did whatever they had to do to get people's attention, to try to get the gospel to them. But again, you know what? The things that they did didn't usually make them popular in the community. And we've got Baptists today terrified of looking bad locally. Oh, I, I don't think we can handle that bad press. Well, the Apostle Paul did pretty good with all the bad press that he got. Why don't you just tell the truth? But some people are so scared of bad press, you know what? They've got bloody hands. Because they're not telling everybody the things that they should. But Paul, he told them everything. And so as a pastor, I should be able to look at, the, at, this, at our congregation and say the same thing. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them to have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. One of these days I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account for what I preached. And you know, I don't want God looking out at our, you know, when he's judging our congregation to say, hey, you know, everybody in Liberty Baptist Church, they had a real problem. You know, they, were just, they just weren't very loving with people. They had, you know, they were real bad at you. They were really carnal, whatever. Didn't you ever preach about being loving? Didn't you ever preach against sin? Didn't you ever preach about immorality? Did you, did you ever show them what my word says about these things? Did you ever, you know, yeah, your people, they knew a whole lot of doctrine. But remember that passage where I wrote? You know, though I understand all mysteries and have all knowledge, but I have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. You forgot that part. You're in trouble. I don't want that. I want to say, I told them everything. They just were bad listeners. And if you're bad listeners, then you know what? That's your problem. But I want to at least be able to stand there before God. I told them everything. I let them know. And we need to be the same way uh, when it comes to everything that we do as a church. We are. We're very public. Verse 28 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. We have to take care of the church of God. We need to minister to each other's needs. We need to look out for the spiritual well-being of one another. We need to help feed and nourish each other. We've got to try to keep our church healthy. You know why? Because if we don't, if we don't keep each other healthy, the work's going to stop. And that's the last thing we want. We need the work to keep going. Listen, again, soul winning is important. But you know what? So is taking care of God's people. And I've got a lot of people out there, they pound in their chest about how good of a soul winner they are, and they can't even be faithful to a church. A lot of, I mean, sometimes the, the biggest soul winner in a church can be the biggest knucklehead and troublemaker in the church. Listen, keep soul winning, but stop hurting the body of Christ. We need churches. We've got to have people pre preserving this truth, preaching the truth, doing all the things that God commanded. We're teaching them to observe all things, not just the soul winning, how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife, how to be a godly example, how to be a clean vessel that God can use. All of these things are important. And so verse 29 says, so Paul, he's telling them all these things for a reason because he says, for I know this. That after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, and also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And let me just tell you about the, old, the hashtag old paths crowd. They've done a bad job of teaching doctrine. The, the, most guys coming out of these Bible colleges, they'll be the first ones to tell you, I didn't learn any doctrine. 
They're learning rituals. They're learning how to do an altar call. They're learning how to do the rituals. They're learning how they're supposed to dress. They're learning what kind of music they're supposed to use. And folks, I'm for all that stuff, but you know what they're not learning? Doctrine. Whenever, whenever they do get challenged with anything doctrine, I'll go read Clarence Larkin's Dispensational Truth. You know what? That's why, that's why the old paths are going away. Because you're letting wolves like Larkin train, train these preachers. They're not getting it done at Bible college. All they're teaching them is a methodology. And then they're handing these guys Larkin. They're handing them Schofield Bibles. I just listened to a preacher just this week lamenting the fact that old-time religion's disappearing and it's all going away. While in the meantime, he's like, turn into page whatever in your Bible because he's, he's always telling people page numbers. He's a Schofield guy. Whenever you, you hear him say, turn to page whatever, it's a Schofield reference Bible every time. You've, you've never heard me do that because I don't have a Schofield. And, you know, it, but these guys act like that's the real King James Bible. It's full of leaven. It's full of it. And these people are wolves. And the Apostle Paul, he taught them doctrine. And he didn't, he didn't do it behind closed doors. He did it publicly. These guys will put the fluff online. You know, they'll put the stuff online that they preach at the preacher's meetings and the big public meetings where they don't really say much of anything. But when it comes to the doctrine, when they get doctrinal, it's behind closed doors. And that's not how Paul did it. You know what? Let me just say it. That ain't old paths. When you do, when you hide your light under a bushel, you ain't old paths. When you got to hide your preaching, you ain't old paths. I'm sorry. They never did internet. Yeah, they never did radio either in the Bible. Well, let me tell you, Paul would have if he could have. Paul would have been on the internet if he could have. He'd have got canceled too. He'd have got sued for $900 million and, uh, if, if, he'd have been, if he'd have been on there for false information and things like that. But, you know, folks, we've got to watch out for uh, wolves, for false doctrine. These things will make our ministry useless. And you know what? We should never be surprised when great ministries that got many people saved at one time when they all of a sudden are preaching false doctrine. And again, when, pe- when that happens, people are always trying to figure out how, you know, we, we've got to delegitimize everything they ever did. No, we don't. No, we don't. Leaven, it does, it makes the message of no effect. And so they were. At one time, that, that ministry was a great ministry. It did great things. We don't need to, we, can, we don't have to take that away from them. But folks, our church has gotten a lot of people saved. But if we bring false doctrine in here, we will quit getting people saved. We might build a bigger social club or country club or whatever, but we won't be getting anybody saved. And so the best way to prepare your church to avoid the wolves is to make sure they're doctrinally strong. It's amazing what preachers can get up and say from the pulpit and people amen. Also, you know, and it's like, why did they say amen? How, that was stupid. Why did they say amen? I'll tell you why they said amen. Because after he made that stupid statement, he did this. They know how to signal you, you know. Uh, you might not like that, but that's Bible, amen. You know, then you're supposed to say amen after that. And they do, they just go right along. And then you have these new Christians, they're sitting in there and they hear that. Well, everybody agrees that he must be right. You know, uh, man, I, you know, I guess that one church is, is garbage, you know, because uh, they think dispensationalism is garbage. And that preacher said that and everybody said amen. No, listen, did he prove it from the scriptures? Did he open a Bible? No, they're not doing that. So, 
Verse 32, now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among them which are sanctified. Paul was confident these people would go on and do great things for God. Without him. He said, I'm giving you to God. And you know what? I believe Paul was truly confident they were going to make it. He said, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And he accompanied him, and they accompanied him to the ship. And so Paul leads them. He goes on it and he goes on his mission that he, I believe he clearly understood was going to be very difficult. And he knew it possibly meant he was probably going to lose his life. But he was okay with that. And all of us ought to be willing to lay down our lives, you know, for the cause of Christ. We should all be willing. But you know what? At the same time, too, and we'll talk more about this in a couple of weeks, I don't believe we ought to be reckless with the life God's given us either. I don't, think, I don't think we need to do that. Paul said, too, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And that was not soul salvation. That was physical salvation. And so... When and, and so just well, let me say this too. When Paul made this decision, all right, I don't believe our Christian life is this thing where every day we've got two choices, God's will and not God's will. You better get it right because you t- make the wrong one, you're going to destroy your life. No, you know, a lot of times there's options. You know, God might want you to move to one place or maybe another, you know, another place. It's not a matter of one's the will of God, one's not the will of God. Okay. Some, you know, God can bless either way. I mean, what if I'd have started a church in South Carolina or North Carolina? I like North Carolina better. What if I'd have started a church in North Carolina? I don't believe I'd have been in the will of God. I think I'd have been a mess. I'd have probably been a drunk and divorced and all. No, you know, I think I might have went okay too. You know, I think God, I think God would have blessed us if we would have went there. And, you know, the Apostle Paul, you know, when he chose to go to Jerusalem, Maybe instead of some of these other places where the Gentiles were. You know what? I think he might have gotten a lot more done in those other places. But you know what? We're going to see he's going to still get a lot more people saved. He's still going to accomplish that. Even if it wasn't necessarily the right choice or God's perfect will for his life, Paul still did some great things. And I just say that too, because in case you mess up sometime and you make just a bad choice somewhere, don't just despair and think God's done with you. No, God can still do something with where you're at, and he can still bless you. Just keep moving forward and forget about the bad decision that you made. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this was a help to everybody. And Lord, I just pray you'll help us as a church to preserve uh, the things of your word. I pray that we will continue on uh, following these things that Paul told the elders in Ephesus. I pray you'll help us be effective. I pray you'll help us to pass these things to the next generation, Lord. I pray you'll help us not to get married to a ritual, but we will... Uh, we will follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and we'll be effective in reaching as many people as possible. In your name we pray. Amen.